Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, it's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. The Athletic. Hello, listener. Yes, I'm back. It's me, Kyle Anker. Welcome back to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Uh, sorry I wasn't around last week. I had to get a night off and a nap, which seems to be what Manchester United needed. Uh, they've had a very fatigued 0-0 draw with Crystal Palace on Wednesday night. Um, so helping me sift through everything from that performance and also to look forward to the Manchester derby ahead on Sunday. I've got the best strike duo of Manchester United since the days of Dwight York and Andy Cole. First things first. I'm going to introduce Laurie Whittle, my fellow beat reporter for Manchester United. Laurie, how are you doing? I'm good, Carl. Yeah, um, obviously not a great game to dissect. We'll, we'll try our best, won't we? Um, but I'm enjoying uh, seeing you and that resplendent jacket that you've got on. Uh, to our listeners, Carl is wearing, is it gold? It, it's furry. It looks yeah, great anyway. Uh, I had to beat up Big Bird to get it, if you want a visual aid. <laughs> um, I was watching that nil-nil draw against Crystal Pass going, oh, this is how Laurie feels sometimes. I don't know how to write this up, but I'll find a way. <laughs> Also joining me today on the podcast, he is, I think he's in Barcelona this time because he's normally traveling elsewhere. He's done a resplendent cover for the new issue of Unite We Stand, looking at United being in red, white and black. I heartily recommend to everyone. He's the contributing writer to The Athletic as well. And he's my mate, Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you doing? Hi, Carl. A bit disappointed, actually, but your jacket is brightening me up a little bit. Disappointed after that very poor performance between Manchester United and Palace. And yeah, I'm not going anywhere fast at the moment with all the restrictions. I think I can go to Milan for the Europa League in, in a couple of weeks' time. So I'd say I'm looking forward to that, but I'm on a bit of a downer actually after the last couple of performances with United. So let's crack on talk about them. Before we get started, listener, a little bit of prep. Uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic right now for the special price of $3.99 a month for the next six months. That's 40% off the price of a full subscription you can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around and me as well if you're interested in that as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts we're also covering 10 other leagues in other sports from around the world if you're interested in the nba or in baseball as well i'd heartily recommend all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash man united pod to take advantage of this special 40 percent discount that's theathletic.com slash man united pod right let's get into this Manchester United nil, Crystal Palace nil. Uh, one shot on target for Manchester United and the third draw in a row. 
Laurie, this was a game where Manchester United looked as foggy as the general weather, right? Yeah, I think most people were hoping that the fog would descend uh, a bit quicker or a bit more uh, thicker and you know put out of our misery because uh, it was a really, really arduous game, excruciating uh, kind of game. Um, I, I actually got a little bit hopeful after the you know the, the sketchy start where Palace. You know, United couldn't find a player in the, the the zebra shirt that they were wearing. You know, you'd think that that would stand out quite well, and they could they could pick them out. But um, it, it wasn't to be. It, so many loose passes, and, and Palace, you know, started quite well. But after that, you know, United had a good spell where Matic had decent shot, fantastic save, Guaita, um, Marcus. Ra- for a really good chance, which really I think once he got it under control with that really good first touch, he should have he should have at least got it on target. Probably should have scored. Greenwood. It felt like United were actually you know getting a little bit into gear and, and kind of pushing Crystal Palace back. Um, but then yeah, it just it just descended, didn't it? It, it went pretty bad. Uh, second half, you know, came out early or, or Palace came out late, and you thought, okay, here we go. Uh, United could actually put the foot on the gas here. They sort of showing a bit of intent, but it just never really happened. You know, the substitutions that Solskjaer made, I suppose, were probably the only ones he could make realistically to try and sort of change things up Fred was probably lucky to last as long as he did the amount of times he gave the ball away McTominay sort of had a little chance didn't need to begin with and, and, and Dan James created you know it was a first touch pass that then set him free um, down the right and okay then he's, he's, he's passing to Bruno's perhaps a bit heavy but then he gets into the box for Luke Shaw's cross and you're just thinking head that I know heading's not perhaps your strong point but it's a it's a good chance but the, the move came from a quick first time pass and you're thinking well, why couldn't they do that all night I, I don't know if it's fatigue I don't know if it's um, mental you know issues that you know it's a lot of games and there's not much else to do I understand that it's a it, it must be a bit of a grind for them to get through this kind of stuff but I don't think it's just isolated to Manchester United. I think that we're seeing quite a few games that are, that are being quite disappointed. But it was a you know really poor performance um, from United, and one that kind of felt that they you know had accepted. I mean, listen, we all accept that, that they're out of the title race, but players players shouldn't really. They should be still fighting, you know, tooth and nail every match to try and you know get the wins that could just about keep the door ajar, particularly ahead of the derby on Sunday. And it just felt like they were passive in it you know, far too much up to the end. Um, and, and I will say Luke Shaw, I, I, I must I, I must go back and see how many times he's had crosses that haven't been converted because he should have had, you know, possibly two assists tonight. There's others that I can think of from, from various different games, you know, um, against Liverpool and against Aston Villa. Um, so I think he was probably the brightest spark for United, wasn't he? Which is saying something. I know he's had a, a great month, you know, play with the month for Manchester United. But really, if you left backs, you know, the one that you kind of look into to create stuff. It, it's not a great, um, you know, saying on, on, on the front four, is it? Andy, this was the 42nd game for Manchester United so far this season. They're playing games pretty much every single three days. Um, is this a performance you could chalk up to just fatigue? Are, the, are they knackered? Well, you said the word fatigue. Laurie said the word fatigue. They look jaded, fatigued. 42 games in I don't think it's it's just the number of games I think it's the intensity of the games and ahead of the game I asked Ollie quite an open question about if any players had surprised him this season good or bad and he replied about how collectively they'd surprised him by basically continuing to play matches even given the constraints around their lives in that they can't have any social life they can't go to the cinema to, to concerts they can't really get away from football 
And that was met with a bit of, yeah, but the millionaire footballers. And you're always going to get a little bit of that, which isn't, isn't always fair. They're also humans and they're allowed to have good and bad days. And just because they earn a lot of money doesn't affect that. But it's pretty alarming how Manchester United's performances, not just the results, have dropped off since going top in, in January. The team are struggling to score away from home. Yeah, the team is still unbeaten away from home and that's still a good record but it was just so boring against Crystal Palace and it, and again it wasn't isolated you can handle one-off results it's becoming a trend now was it three wins in 10 Premier League matches yep. and I fear when this happens that the the, the manager just loses support um, incrementally having a lot of fans want him to do well but it's very hard to defend those type of performances. And it reminded me of the latter days of Jose Mourinho or Louis van Gaal, where the fans had just had enough. They just had. And I'm not on about the always angry, always unhappy. I'm on about the moderates, the people who will give someone time to, to do the job. And even now, I still think a lot of people want Oli. They've not given up on Oli. Like they've given up on, on Jose and, and van Gaal towards the end, that last sort of six months for, for both of them. But it was really, really poor. One point from six against Crystal Palace, that's just not good enough. Um, Laurie touched on different positions around the pitch. I thought the, the attack was particularly disappointing. Um, Mason Greenwood's a very talented player, but he scored one Premier League goal this year. It's not good enough. Um, Edinson Cavani looked rusty because he's been out, and I get that. Marcus isn't having, having a good spell either. I would have thought that the team would have had a rollicking at halftime. First time Marcus got the ball, he went under his feet. Now, little mistakes like that happen and he came closest to scoring in the first half. Uh, Lloyd touched on Fred giving the ball away. That's quite right. I think Maguire and Bailey did early on, although United started the game quite well. But it was another match where I thought, if there was 3,000 away fans at Selhurst and it's a really loud away in there because even though the facilities are, are old, the, the roof's quite low in the half awake stand and it's it's really atmospheric and they just wouldn't have stood for that performance. And look at United's performances there in recent years. I think there's been a couple of three twos with really late, exciting goals. Nemanja Matic. Yeah, and, and, and it is it is a factor. We don't know whether it's 2% or 25% or 30%. The bottom line is there's a lot of United fans really cheesed off with not just that, but the draw at West Brom, the defeat against Sheffield United. And I think Holly's got to be really careful because in a funny way, knowing what this United like, they'll go away and beat Manchester City in the derby at, at the weekend. Uh, although that would be a major, major surprise. But I think if United fall out of that top four and don't win a cup, you're going to have intense pressure for the manager to be changed there. Now, the fact that United is still in the FA Cup, still in the Europa League, favourites against Milan. Milan is a great name, but they shouldn't be beating Manchester United. So we're coming into the last sort of quarter of the season and it's a really key time. And it's a bit worrying that the team are jaded. Really missed Paul Pogba. Paul was playing really well before, before he got injured and... They're the issues which are, are at the forefront of my mind at the moment. Let's get into that a bit about Paul Pogba's being injured. Injured. We talked so early on in Soul Show in the press conference before the game about Pogba's injury, and he sounded as if Pogba is unlikely to return before the international break. Um, Laurie, I want to get your insight here. 
when you have a team like Manchester United, what do they lose in Pogba being injured? I think that uh, creativity from a, a deeper position and the fact that you've got a guy there that will will take control of the ball, can dribble with it, can pick all kind of passes. Um, you know, we saw with Matic and Fred, it's it's too similar. Um, you know, and perhaps even against Chelsea, McTominay and Fred, perhaps too similar. Um, albeit, I think that was a slightly more encouraging performance. Um, you know, the way they won the ball back high up. Um, but Pogba was showing this season um, just when he got injured that he can assume responsibility. Um, he put in a number of good performances all round, not just in attacking play, but also in defensive play. I mean, that game at Fulham, he basically won that, you know, obviously with, you know, specifically with the goal, <laughs> the wonder goal, but also with his overall contribution where he was, he was making a presence of himself. He was seizing control of it like he can do. And, Obviously, we've been crying out for those kind of performances throughout his duration at Manchester United, and, and they've been too, you know, too few and far between. Ironically, one of the games where we can say he, he delivered was away to Man City in a, a dead rubber game that, that obviously, you know, stole the title, you know, away from Manchester City that day at least, you know, postponed the inevitable. Uh, and you sort of wonder um, whether Sunday might have a similar kind of feel to it. Listen, he, he obviously played in this, the game where United lost to Sheffield United, so to sort of say. Um, all these you know, poor results since United went top at a down to Pogba's absence would be a little bit, um, you know, a little bit fraudulent. But it, it is noticeable how United were excellent in that game against Everton. You know, two 0 up. Um, you know, he goes off, um, and then ultimately, you know, it's his defensive issue where you know, Everton equalised. But since then, United haven't really looked great. You know, it's it's Newcastle that they've beaten, which was a, a real grind. Uh, and then, you know, in the away games, it's it's been it's the it's the fact that the United aren't creating chances. It's not that they're drawing the games. It's the it's the performances. And, and you think Paul Pogba would have definitely, you know, lifted, elevated the, the chances that United would have had in those matches. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, you've mentioned the Derby now. And you've mentioned the Derby now. I'm going to give you a quick numbers about the Champions League spaces. So before this game, 
United, according to my big old spreadsheet, had an 84% chance of making the Champions League and now it's dropped down to 81%. So even though the draw's bad, United United probably going to end up in the Champions League spaces. So I think I want to draw a line on the Crystal Palace and let's get into this derby. Manchester City, the only team in the Premier League so far to have won four games in a row in the Premier League. United are really good on the counter-attack. Draw? What do you think, Andy? City are winning everything. I mean, even before Christmas, I was using the word ominous. I went to their game to cover it as a journalist at Arsenal away before Christmas and looked at the strength of their bench and was texting City supporting mates of mine, just thinking Aguero was ready to come on here. They were coming back from injuries and I think they put four goals past Arsenal. And they're not wobbling to the point that maybe this sounds bitter, but the league being over in February is not a good thing for, for any league. And that's coming from someone who's never hid his allegiance to Manchester United. But I just, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago about PSG and City just pulling away because of the way that they're funded. And, and I think it's a, ser- it's a serious issue um, for, for football. United will not be favourites going into that game at, at City. However, won the last two times there. The, la- the game last season in the league was the high point in the eyes of Solskjaer, because he told me, of his time at Manchester United. And Martial was outstanding. Can I see this happening? Can I even <laughs> see Martial play it? <laughs> not, not at the moment. And it'd be almost more frustrating if United did turn up, because the league, the league has gone. Not through City's fault. I don't... But for United's fault from dropping um, so many points, City have just got such strength in depth. Probably got the best manager in the world, Pep Guardiola. He's an outstanding manager. And he internally combusts in the Champions League once a season. But this is going <laughs> to happen too late for Manchester United. Uh, and um, I was at the Lyon game in Lisbon. I was there. I was watching it, um, obviously, as an objective journalist and taking no satisfaction whatsoever as Leon's teenage midfield shredded Manchester City, but they're going to be clear favourites. Going into this derby is so different to the last derby. The game at Old Trafford in January was really like, let's see how good Man United really are now. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about United having more possession. I know we'd spoke a lot about the league derby, which Laurie got really excited about in in December, that nil-nil. Thrilling nil-nil. Actually made a lot (laughs) of really good Give me more. But, but you made a lot of good points. United enjoyed more possession against City than I think any team so far this season. And when City came to Old Trafford in that cup semi-final and were better in midfield and were better in defence and Ruben Diaz was the best defender, Fernandinho was the best midfielder, that was the small margins Oli talks about. Mm-hmm. The problem is, you could almost live with that being just behind City. The problem is it's not a small margin now. It's a massive margin. What is it? 14, 15 points? I've stopped following it. And two months ago, I was watching the other teams and getting excited when West Brom got an equaliser at Anfield, thinking this is what it's like to be in a, in a title race. Isn't this fun? And that's all gone now. It, there, there are still reasons. Isn't the world a bad place? There are still reasons to be positive. Laurie, help Andy out here. United are good on the counter-attack. They're still on the best sides of the counter-attack. Anti Marshall probably won't play on Sunday. He has a knee knock. But Scott McTominay has made his miraculous recovery and got a little time against Crystal Palace and is, again, looking to pick up pockets of space in more attacking areas. Go on, Laurie. Help the listener. Help Andy. 
what's going to happen on Sunday? I enjoyed your pivot there, Carl, from Andy's despondency to um, to a little bit of you know optimism, I suppose. Uh, yeah, listen, United could, as Andy says, United could go there and, and win. It's it's you know it's happened twice in the last two occasions, um, and I think that's a really good point you make there, Andy. It, that would almost be more irritating from a United perspective because it would be well, you know, the show's over. You know, it's 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 no good really. I mean, I suppose it would feel a little bit you know comforting in in the, the the top four race which i don't know if we'll have a look at um later on um just in terms of the fact that united can get dragged into that when it looked quite a comfortable position and listen i know that there's teams behind them that are you know imploding also leicester don't look great and um you know west ham will they stay up there liverpool are obviously looking at the champions league probably so you know there's there's hope i suppose in that sense but um yeah the city game i, I yeah, I think United could could well go and and frustrate City. Um, I think they've obviously shown that they've got abilities in big games to keep a clean sheet, which is you know weird when you throw it against some other games that they've managed to concede you know comedic goals in. Um, but I just think City look like they're that they're revving it up, don't they? I mean, they they've every time you think there's a little you know. Uh, you know, glint in, in the armory, um, you know, getting to 80 minutes against Wolves and it being 1 1. Um, they go and put four past them in the end. It's like, where, where did that come from? Um, so, yeah, it's it's probably, and I do, I wonder if that, you know, that 3 2 occasion might a little bit be in their mind, you know, from 2018 where they they missed the opportunity to, to rubber stamp the league against United. This this wouldn't be the same, obviously, it wouldn't be, you know, mathematically confirmed, but it would, it would be a nice exclamation point for them. So, I wonder if that's a a bit of a motivation um but yeah I, mean, I think united we talk about united being top and it was exciting and andy getting excited about west brom equalizing you know there were certainly moments where i was you know looking at certain matches that usually you just wouldn't really care about too much and thinking oh actually well that means that this you know is the situation there's a point here and actually looking at that fixture ahead of time this could happen um and, and it felt quite interesting to be you know, looking at fixtures like that and obviously that's all that has all gone but you look at the fact that united were, were three points ahead of liverpool after 17 games city were two games you know in hand but but um, seven points off the, the lead that United had. Uh, ten games later, those three wins that we talk about, and you know they're fourteen points behind City. It's a hell of a chasm to have opened up in such a short space of time, and I think that's probably what makes it feel you know worse because it's it has just fragmented so quickly. Um, I know this, this was supposed to be a happy answer, wasn't it, Carl? <laughs> it was. It was supposed to be you were really trying what... to cheer up the listener, and you've uh... <laughs> I've just plummeted again. Um, <laughs> But listen, every game is is a new game, and I think I enjoyed your tweet before the was it before or after the match, Andy, where you said about you know you always go with a little bit of hope before every game, no matter what that that'll always stay. And I think when it's a derby, when United have got the players that they've got that have turned up in derbies before, you know, Marcus Rashford scored a winning goal in a derby, Nemanja Matic just scored a winning goal in a derby at the Etihad, Dan James put in a really good performance there last season. Anthony Marshall scored there, you know, uh, ultimately what was the winner in a derby. So they've got players that there that know what it's like to win in a Manchester derby. The fans won't be there. So, you know, that, that's been removed. You know, you never know, do you? Shall, shall we go with that? We'll, we'll take, you never know. Uh, in other Manchester United news, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer talked to Sky Sports after the nil-nil draw against Crystal Palace, where he suggested that United players wouldn't go on international duty if they have to quarantine on their return. So as far as I understand it, um, 
Manchester United's European players and some from South America who, if they did go into National would have to come back and quarantine for 10 days. Uh, Solskjaer said he hasn't spoken to them in particular. He named Bruno Fernandes in this as an example. He said, why well, hasn't spoken to Bruno Fernandes? He would prefer it uh, if those players didn't travel. So it sounds as if at some point in March, some players will be afforded a night off and a nap to recharge the batteries for April and whatnot. I'm saying this right now and my hamstring is tight. So heaven knows how knackered Bruno Fernandes is right now. <laughs> Gentlemen, let's talk about the articles we've been writing. Andy, you've got a fantastic piece about Manchester United's version of Hogwarts. Now, I never read Harry Potter, so you're going to have to explain this one to me. You're putting that on me because I've never read it either. <laughs> but my... My 10-year-old daughter is is a huge fan of it and um, she's in bed, so I'm not, not going to wake her up and get her up. tell you. Yeah, I'm, I've been really put on the spot. And it's like the most difficult question I've been asked. Explain Harry Potter. Um, I can't you could explain your piece instead. I can explain my piece. I mean, the thing, I didn't do the headline and I'm... Um, getting all these really nice comments saying, well, great to read about the Hogwarts. And I think there's nothing to do with me. And also the graphic at the top, whoever's done it from the athletic, they've done a really nice job of it. Yeah. Um, it's a piece about the link between Manchester United and Astronaut Mercy School, which they've had for 23 years. And that actually came out of being at a game at Rochdale in September. So this is how long some of these pieces take to, to, to come about. And when you write about minors, it's very complicated. Using pictures of minors is complicated. Ashton and Mersey School get approached all the time to speak about their relationship with Manchester United, and, and they always decline it. So I had to get over that and then speak to uh, the people. Um, I've got some advantages in that I know some of the teachers, so contacts are very important in journalism. And to get them to tell stories about players who've been at Ashton and Mersey School was, was a joy. And then to get the club's perspective and... It's a state school, and some schools have links with the, the, the fanciest private schools, but Manchester United are really satisfied with their link-up with Ashton on Mersey. And so many players have come through there, and you find out that, you know, Johnny Evans was like a proper star student. <laughs> and he knows this. Johnny reads the athletic. So he's, he's buzzing because the teachers are basically saying Johnny, that he's home. a major we academic. <laughs> and then... Other players go, yeah, but he's only an academic because he had one-on-one -on -one teaching when he was seven. So you see this like <laughs> rivalry coming out, and you know the, the the head of the the dean trust, which runs the school, said they're not supposed to play football, but they can't help it. And sometimes he looks out of his office and he sees like Marcus Rashford going past somebody or or Mason Greenwood. Marcus came into school after his debut, and the head said to him you know, you've got, you've got a day off. You scored two at the weekend. You say, well, I've got nothing to do. I can't drive and all my mates are here. So what do you want me to do? I've come into school. And then traditionally, the lads who came from abroad were much more respectful. So there's some cultural differences there. So Gerard Piquet and, and Giuseppe Rossi would go and shake hands with the headmaster each morning. And then you had a lad who was a, a, a fantastic Welsh choir singer, which wasn't good for his street cred, but it was a huge talent. So just to peel back the stories, I found it really enjoyable to do. It just took a long, long time, but um, it's got a massive feedback on, on The Athletic and it makes your job worthwhile when you, when you see that and you can do that original type of stuff because 
I can never do it again. You know, I can't go back and do another piece with, with Ashton School. So that, that's what that was about. And I, I think the Athletic does this type of stuff well. It's sort of looking behind the curtain and seeing what goes on. And education is a really important part for, for, for every human, not just a footballer. And most of them lads who go to that school are not going to make it United. That's the blunt reality of it. So if they've got a good education behind them, that, that will help them. But loads of the players have got in touch with me after reading it. And they're just so complimentary about their mentors at the school. And that's really nice. Really nice to read that. It's a fantastic piece. I heartily recommend it to you, listener, just to check on The Athletic and go read it. Laurie, uh, you wrote this piece last month, but such is the way of The Athletic. I only really get to read everything on the website on my days off. So I want you to talk to me a little bit about the piece you did with Tom Warfield about Harry Maguire and his creative skills from centre-back. It was a funny one because it was to do with, um, originally, it was after the Newcastle game and it was to do with uh, Matic from last season being um, a surprise name in the uh, table that, that our stats guru Tom Warville had put together after lockdown on being involved in uh, goal involvements and, and you know basically being involved in the moves that then end up in goals so not necessarily the assist or the goal but actually you know being a part of the build-up so yeah he did it again for this uh, current season and Maguire uh, popped up unexpectedly uh, so I did a piece on that and just sort of looked at the ways in which he had contributed and um, it was often that actually he, he was doing something towards the end of the move where he'd sort of inject a little bit of pace you know, ball out to Rashford or ball to Luke Shaw is a favourite of his. Um, and the one in particular was the the pass to Rashford. That it was his first assist of the season. That Rashford then obviously went and and did a bit more work. <laughs> it was one of those assists that is sort of you know a, a golf tee rather than a silver platter <laughs> kind of a. Um, uh, so yeah, but that was I, I thought that was quite interesting. You know, obviously Harry Maguire feels like a bit of a. Uh, a bellwether for, for fans you know some some fans really like him some fans really don't and um, I always feel like these are sort of pieces that just shine a light on you know alternative viewpoints um, people were sort of saying oh, well you've not mentioned all these mistakes that he's made and yeah he has made mistakes but I think if we if I did a piece that was just sort of solely on those mistakes it'd be quite boring and obvious so um, hopefully this this provided something slightly different um, but yeah I've got no uh, sort of exciting stories like Andy was talking about there um, I, I, did, I did interview um, Nick Cox who I think Andy mentioned in his piece um, the Academy Head so that's coming out at some point um, that was really enjoyable actually he's got such a passion for um, youth development and we got into his career previously um, at Watford um, and then at Sheffield United so some of the players that he um, worked with there including um, Ashley Young and a certain Jaden Sancho uh, and then Dominic Calvert-Lewin at Sheffield United so we got into a little bit of that and then plus the, the sort of more contemporary stuff which was quite interesting um, and then also I'm going to stay up late on Thursday night for United's uh, investor call which is 9.30pm in the evening uh, in the UK because they are announcing the results after after the stock exchange closes in New York uh, and then doing the call afterwards. So that'll give United fans, uh, you know, and the wider world a clearer indication as to exactly how much of a transfer kitty of a war chest uh, <laughs> will Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get in the summer. Um, you know, we're sort of led to believe it will be, you know, one marquee name, you know, plus maybe another, perhaps even three, if United get, players out the door and get good money for them but this is the actual nitty-gritty of it and you know the, the accounts will show more clearly the effects of covid so uh, we we will wait them with uh, bated breath look at you going beyond the call of duty so you can uh 
It's definitely outside work hours, that isn't it? Nine thirty. It really is. It really is. <laughs> These eight o'clock kickoffs are very disruptive to my sleep cycle. But before we wrap up, I'm going to quickly plug my own piece, which involved a, a little two batch questions that I asked the Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer the last two weeks, where I've, I've simply been asking Ollie before games about what his plans are for United Attack. So um, after the game against Real Sociedad, where it ended four 0 I asked him how does he make sure he bottles good performances and make sure he can carry those from week to week. And he gave a very interesting answer about how uh, they look for space on the pitch. And then before this game against Crystal Palace, I asked Ollie, how do you go about forcing the space on the pitch? Uh, and then he gave a very interesting answer where he also explains that he has conversations with his dad about tactics for Manchester United, which I thought was very, very interesting. Um, because, you know, when in doubt, why not ask your parents? What do you think I should do? Other than that, I think that's all for us on Talk of Levels this week. Uh, we will be back sometime after the derby, I believe. Uh, Fingers crossed. That's not going to end nil-nil. And then fingers crossed again. United are the ones who are scoring all the goals. Other than that, uh, it's goodbye from me and a goodbye from Laurie. Goodbye, guys. Cheers for listening. Uh, goodbye from Andy. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Laurie. Nice one, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much for listening to Talk of the Devils. It's a Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. We'll be back after beating City on Sunday. The Athletic. <laughs>